This week on the Evangelist Podcast, Scripture Alone. The Evangelist's Podcast. Encouragement to speak life to a needy world. With Glenn Scrivener and Andy Brinkley. Uh, well, hello. Welcome back to the Evangelist Podcast. Um, I'm here today with Glenn Scrivener. Hello. Hello, Paul Feasy. How are you? I am well, thank you, Glenn. Yes, all doing good. Um, and we are carrying on today looking at... Oh, and there's someone else in the room uh, as well. Yeah, back yeah. for another week. Back for another week. Because <laughs> we haven't left. We've been down here all week, haven't we, Ruby? Playing on our iPad. In the bunker. In the, in the bunker, underneath a, a volcano <laughs> in the middle of the Pacific. Uh, so we've got Ruby here as well. And so we're carrying on today um, looking at the next in our series of the solars. Um, Solar means what? <laughs> for, the, for those who aren't as versed in Latin as you are. Absolutely. Um, for I've, Alone. Alone. There it is. It means alone. We've I mean, only been looking at it for three weeks now. So. Yeah, I know. Um, scripture alone today. That's what we're looking at. Solar scripture. Solar scripture. scripture. Mm-hmm. So as, as, we, as we kind of begin... It'd be good to think about where the Reformation came from and like, mm. why Why then? Why in the 16th century? Right. Um, why 500 years ago? Um, and, I, and I guess because sort of five and a half centuries ago, the printing press was sort of uh, invented and... And that had a massive impact. I mean, there were lots of people during medieval times who had all sorts of wonderful gospel thoughts and who thought the Pope was getting stuff wrong. In fact, large sections of the church was really dissatisfied with the with the church and with the Pope and, and thought that there was all sorts of moral decay. And some people even thought there was theological decay and, and what are we going to do about it? Uh, but really, it took the printing press uh, to bring things to people's attention. So you, you get Erasmus in the 16th century coming up with a brilliant sort of Greek New Testament edition, and now people are able to sort of read the original of, of the New Testament, not just the Latin Vulgate uh, translation that people have been using. And then when people like Luther get hold of the gospel message of the New Testament, um, his teachings and preachings are able to just go viral because all of a sudden, you know, hundreds and thousands of copies of the 95 Theses, etc., um, can get into people's hands. So why, yeah, why the 16th century and not the 14th or 13th? Yeah, I'm speaking in the microphone again. Yeah, that's right. That's... <laughs> So why the 16th century and not the 15th, 14th, 13th? Uh, not because people were any cleverer in the 16th century, but literally it's this technological thing, and literally you're able to have Bibles in people's hands. Mm. And so, yeah, so really, you know, it's, it's, it's not this grand idea that Luther had that he dreamt up one day. It's, it's coming out of Scripture that, that, that is able to birth this, this grand reformation. And I guess, and for for Luther specifically, it, mm. it was one particular scripture, wasn't it? The, um, I'm sure there are many that struck him, but the, the one that really stood out for him was uh, Romans chapter one verse seventeen. Mm. It says, uh, talking about the, uh, the gospel. It says, "For in it, the f- sorry, for in it, to the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith." And this is. It's kind of something he had when he had his kind of tower experience, isn't it? You know, yeah. that, that previous to this, he had been very much burdened by his his sin. You know, mm. he said, you know, I prayed, I would do all these things, and then wonder, had I, mm. had I done it enough? Yeah. You know, we were talking the other day about 
the steps. Yeah, we're, climbing we're, the holy stairs. Yeah, yeah, and you know, kissing each step and right. saying the Lord's Prayer on each step and then getting yeah. to the top and saying, "Who knows if this is so?" Exactly. You know that lack of assurance, and you know he he says as he reads Romans one verse seventeen, he reads about the righteousness of God being revealed for him initially. That was something he he thought was bad news right because he thought you know here's god who's so righteous mm. and i am so unrighteous how can god's righteousness be good news for someone like me he even goes as far as saying doesn't he you know i i did not love but i hated the righteous god this god punishes you know punishes sinners, sinners etc etc right. so i mean that's what it kind of made having that kind of that notion had mm. obviously you know warped luther's view of god and yeah you know it certainly wasn't a a, a good relationship there yeah but then in this verse, he understands actually righteousness. It says is revealed from faith for faith, as is righteous. The as it is written, the righteous shall live yeah. by faith. And he began to realise that righteousness something is actually something that we receive right. by faith. Yes, it is not. It's not God's you know righteousness being lorded in our face for right. us to attain to. It's the standard over us. No, it's being it's given. The to us yeah and actually only through faith not through penance or ritual or whatever it might be yeah and he and he says about his this experience he says um the way it came is he says uh, nevertheless i beat impatiently upon paul most ardently desiring to know what he wanted uh, and in our video we've got paul um doing exactly that paul, paul beating on paul paul beating yeah. on paul saying what do you mean <laughs> what do you mean um but it's a it's a great phrase, isn't it? Beat him. I, th I think actually in the original, it's or in in uh, a more uh, fusty translation in English, I beat importunately upon Paul. But yeah, yeah. I beat importunately, importunately upon Paul, most ardently desiring to know what he wanted. At last, by the mercy of God, says Luther, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, and then he realizes that you know righteousness is a gift; it's not the standard above him. When he understands this Bible study, he says, "Here I felt that I was altogether." born again and had entered par paradise itself through open gates and so here's his personal reformation that then you know gives rise to um, this cultural and, and ecclesial reformation but it all begins with bible study and what's really interesting is like we we kind of think of, of bible study as this really boring dull thing to do but but paul is like no beating impatiently and you know by the uh, meditating day and night, giving heed to the context of the words. This is the way to paradise. Like, mm. like really doing careful, intense Bible study actually sparks a reformation in your own heart, and and it did spark the reformation in history. And that kind of way of looking at scripture, uh, that way of reading scripture and letting scripture kind of get into you and mm. affect you in the way it did Luther. I mean, would you say you've had any experiences? Of Bible study, I'm always thinking about um, you know one Bible study in which we were covering Garden of Gethsemane, and I guess I had I had a teenage years that are a little bit like Luther's in terms of being a very serious religious kind of a person, but you know secretly hating God because you know there are His standards above Him, uh, and there are God's standards above me, and I'm not able to meet them. And Garden of Gethsemane was a massive verse for me because I just I sort of thought that here is Jesus, my example, who is praying to God and, you know, praying this great prayer of commitment to God. 
and feeling like I need to do it like Jesus. And and yet in this Bible study, you know, we had a look at it and and read about to study the Garden of Gethsemane, and I said, oh no, I can't I can't handle this this passage because I can't do it like Jesus. And the Bible study leader said, what do you think you're Jesus? I said, no. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe. And he said, no, you're not Jesus in, in this story. You are Peter. And what's Peter doing? And Peter is rubbish, failing, ridiculous Peter, and Jesus prays for him. And all of a sudden, you know, just that scriptural truth just flipped everything on its head for me. And, and I, I guess I, I kind of, um, you know, felt like I was altogether born again and entered paradise through through open gates. I think the Bible has that, that kind of that kind of power, that kind of impact to kind of unlock something in you and, and cut to the cut to the heart as you know Hebrews four says. It's a sharper than a double edged sword and it, you know, um, you know, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And I, I think that's that's kind of what scripture does. Have you ever had experiences of that? You know, scripture really reshaping, remaking you? Yeah, I mean I, I think in a number of ways. I think things that come to mind of the way uh, scripture has uh, leapt out of me in different ways. So, I mean, I remember being a teenager and reading kind of through Romans and, you know, when Paul speaks of, you know, that what I want to do, I don't do. And Mm. you kind of go, that's me. Um, Mm. And, uh, uh, but I think one particularly is is Romans three verse 23. I think it is, Mm. isn't it? Where, um, you know, we've had this massive build up. The first three chapters of Romans are all, pretty much a lot of bad news isn't it um so i say romans 323 i don't mean that i mean romans 321 yeah all this kind of stuff which is very kind very kind of you know everyone's a sinner and everybody's lost yeah and then we get to romans 3 uh, verse 21 and we get but now yeah right you know and um i think i was at new word alive at some point and the guy speaking saying like you know this is the biggest butt in the bible <laughs> you know he's talking to students so he's yeah, allowed yeah, you know to get away with those kind of things talks about a righteousness of god has been revealed through faith in jesus christ for all who believe there is no distinction all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god um you know and it's manifested um apart from the law and mm. you just think ah right. right and then you know later on kind of being i remember particularly being struck one day reading romans 7 and this idea of you know how we'd been our relationship to the law was like one who was married and you know a partner dies and they're no longer married and actually you died because right through the body of christ through christ um but then i said yeah and so that was very freeing i think yeah when you're confused about the relationship between the christian and the law yes um yes but then even more freeing i suppose off the back of that is to realize that He's he's really Paul's probably there talking to Jewish people really, mm-hmm. um, and actually as a Gentile I've never been under the the law, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, you know the kind of Jerusalem Council they go well no, don't don't put this burden on yes. the Gentiles and you kind of go, oh I've I've never been under this right you know this has never been on on my back, hmm. um, yeah it's tremendously freeing I think all these different paradigm shifts that happen yeah when Scripture just pierces through like that. Um, so what what do we so so scripture kind of birthed a reformation in Luther and it birthed a reformation in the 16th century and it's birthed reformations in our lives um but what do we mean by this phrase sola scriptura scripture alone um what's it getting at what does it does it just mean the bible and me 
you know, just just the two of us, <laughs> you know, is yeah. What what does it mean to say sola scriptura? Are we saying that the only book we ever read, the only book we think is ever important ever, is the Bible? What is, yeah? What's it? What's it getting at? Uh, well, no, it's not really saying that, is it? It's 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 a reaction uh, to what Luther was seeing in the church, I suppose that scripture wasn't seen it's to do with authority isn't it what's yes. our highest authority and, and, and luther was it was keen in the end to go uh, to say scripture needs to be our ultimate authority not popes not councils not tradition right. or reason right you know those are the kind of you know the, when you think about you hear christians say where well, you've got scripture tradition and reason mm. and you know sola scriptura is really saying all those things can be helpful Right. You know, so tradition can be good and helpful. Mm-hmm. Reason can be good and helpful, but actually, the ultimate authority has to be scripture. Yeah. Um, and so tradition needs to, yeah, be submitted to scripture. So is this tradition good? Well, we need to go back to scripture mm-hmm. and see. Mm-hmm. Reason. Yeah. We need to recognise our own reason is fallen. So and right. Reason can be, be good. renewed by the trans. You know, Absolutely. You know, transformed by the renewing of our minds through the and, scriptures. You know, and, and you know, at the moment as well, I've heard people say that people are introducing a new thing that actually scripture tradition reason and experience experience baby um and yeah. i'm sure i'm yeah. sure there can be experiences which are helpful sure but we need yeah. to weigh up our experiences and say does this agree with what scripture yeah shows us you yeah. know yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah yeah exactly so in in terms of what is what is the prime authority that stands over us and and tells us you know what to believe and how to live and um shapes our doctrine and morals um scripture has got to be in that pole position mm. by itself um and and not yeah you know because uh, cause i guess you know a, a traditional catholic position is that the church of god has given rise to the word of god mm. and they would sort of say well it's you know it's the people of god have written scripture obviously by the inspiration of the holy spirit but you know it was the council of of nicaea that put together the canon and and so the church has in some ways given rise to what we know of today as the scriptures and luther sort of flips that on its head and says no the scriptures produce the church. The church doesn't produce the word of God. The word of God produces the church. The church mm. is the called out ones. That's what the ecclesia means. It's the it's the, the the community of those who are called out to listen to the scriptures. So it's always the scriptures that are producing um, uh, the the church. And so the church must sit under authority uh, under the authority of the scriptures. Um, so the Catholic Church was saying that. It's the church of God that gives rise to the word of God. Actually, Luther was saying, no, the word of God gives rise to the church of God. But in, in even in Luther's world, it's not like me and my Bible. It's not just, you know, I still read the Bible in community mm. with other people. And we still, you know, Ephesians 4, we've got word teachers who are given to us to help us understand the scriptures and we need one another. And tradition at its best is just a way of me sitting down with other dead guys who are really good Bible teachers and, and learning from Calvin and Augustine, etc. Um, how to, you know, and and reason at its best is, you know, is is thinking carefully in scriptural categories about the scriptures. Um, but it's it's got to be the scriptures that, that come first and have that that supreme authority, and that's really where it came you know it came to it the 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 diet of worms, not the diet of worms. Would you like the octopus? All right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Which one's the octopus? Which one's the octopus? Have you got it? Okay. 
1521, Luther is summoned to the Diet of Worms, not the Diet of Worms. That's how it's written, but it's pronounced the Diet of Worms. And uh, there he is, and he's told to recant um, of all his works. If you can imagine the, you know, the table piled high with his books, and you know, will you recant of all these things? And uh, and famously, he says, "Look, unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen." And there he is, you know, standing against the emperor and the pope. Like, every, the whole world is against him. Mm. And he's like, well, yeah, but the word of God says different. So, <laughs> jog on. <laughs> um, he didn't actually say, here I stand, I, I can do no other. I think he probably did say jog on, though. Um, Absol- absolutely. <laughs> without doubt. Jog on. <laughs> jog, jog on. <laughs> Isn't Schwarzenegger uh, Austrian? Austrian? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hasta la Close vista, enough, right? Yeah, no. hasta, hasta la vista, pop. Um, that's basically, yeah. But but isn't that amazing? Like standing against, uh, yeah, kind of the whole world and saying, yeah, but the Bible says different, guys. Mm-hmm. And that language of saying I'm captive to the Word of God actually made Luther the freest thinker of his day. It's 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 stunning to think in those terms, but but actually Luther, um, yeah, he was the freest thinker. He he got us out of medieval. You know, the medieval period. Like, really? He did. Well, how did he do it? Well, he was a slave to the Bible. <laughs> and it's just it's just that choice. You're either a slave to the Bible or you're a slave to your culture. And Luther kind of picked wisely, I guess. He says, I'm not going to be a slave to my culture. I'm going to be a slave to the Bible. And that made him a free man, a dangerous man, but a free man in his own time. Yeah. And I just wonder if that's true for us, that actually there are all sorts of cultural norms that we're surrounded by that we're actually all slaves to. Um, but here's the opportunity. Become captive to the word of God and you'll become a free man or woman, a dangerous man or woman, but a free man or woman. You know, I, I, just, I just wonder if there are examples of, of that today, uh, of, of you know, culture dictating one thing and us standing on the Bible and saying, no, but Scripture says. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess um, we, we were talking earlier about, you know, actually there are, in the world, even, even right now in the world, there are obviously lots of different cultures. Right. And so, I mean, do we just say, therefore, if the culture's saying it, it's right? Yeah. Well, actually, no, because cultures today across the world, just today, not looking back, not even including back across history, but they're, they're contradictory with each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked about actually here in the, in the West, you know, biblical, you know, scriptural views on uh, things like forgiveness and love. Right. People love it. It's yeah. a very Western kind of, yay, we yeah, like this stuff. Um, but biblical views on sexuality and kind of sexual morality um, are very unpopular in the West. But if you go to other countries, yeah. actually the stuff about sexual morality, they go, oh, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, great. Yeah. And then you start talking about forgiveness and they're like, oh, no, actually, because it's all about honour and your, right. you know, family honour and, and yes, revenge. The law and, and justice. Exactly. Yeah. And... So it's it's somewhat short-sighted of certain wings of yeah. Christianity to start yeah. saying culture has changed. Yeah, and we need the because, Bible to shift with us. Absolutely, more. and I mean, I you remember, mean, do like, you mean that white people have changed? <laughs> and now we need to believe what <laughs> white people think. Exactly, like, but it is this isn't minority it? in the West today. Yeah, you yeah. Know, even you know the majority of the world yeah. thinks different. I mean, yeah. the sexual morality thing is the big thing at the moment, isn't yeah. it? In the church. Yeah, yeah. The majority of the world today yeah. thinks the Western view of sexuality yeah. is just 
going completely bonkers. Right. So it's a minority view even today. Yeah. And if you were to compare it in the whole of history, yeah, yeah. it's an even smaller minority small view. Minority. But yet somehow yeah. today the we're the enlightened. To yeah, the Bible it. needs to catch up with the, yeah. the enlightened ones here yeah, yeah, in the yeah. West now. But I mean, remember my brother-in-law saying, people often say, oh, you know, the Bible's very of its time. You know, like, you know, of its day. And of course, and that's what people say, culture's changed. Mm -hmm, But of mm -hmm. course, when it was written, of course, there are cultural things. Yeah, yeah. But it's actually very against its own culture. Totally. I mean, particularly its sexual morality. It's completely against its culture. The the Greco Roman world? Yeah. Like, (laughs) you know, didn't they they say, like, you know, a woman woman for children, a man for. A boy, no, a a woman for necessity, a a boy boy for for pleasure, pleasure, and a goat goat for for ecstasy. ecstasy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the Bible's always been out of time. Absolutely, you know. it's never fitted into its right. culture. And I remember hearing Andrew Wilson speak on it and say, you know, if if we say God is unchanging and has an unchanging yeah. morality and view, it is obvious that at some point in different ways it is going to rub up against every single culture mm-hmm. in the world. You know, so you cannot yes. just say culture has changed. Right. Well, indeed it has. But he, <laughs> yeah. and, here's, and here's your opportunity to actually be a free thinker and to not just be a cork on the tide of, you know, popular opinion that's mm. going to be different in, you know. I mean, the, the opinions, you know, Tim Keller's always saying this, you, you know, the opinions of your great-grandparents would embarrass you right now. You know, you would listen to them and probably you would judge them according to, you know, the, the holy trinity today of sex. No, gender, race, and sexuality would be, the, would be the three things that, you know, we are so righteous on. And and we probably would, you know. Mm. Anyone would. A Christian would look back at the things that people said and says, oh, a little bit sexist, eh, probably racist, you know. But, you know, what are, you, what are your great-grandkids going to say about you and yeah. your things? And, and honestly, you, you think you have arrived? You are the messiah you're the one you've been waiting for but we have glenn of course we have we've come of course we have look at us you know so what's the your only chance is is maybe maybe there is this transcendent word that crashes into culture and says something different Mm. and if we enslave ourselves to it right if we're captive to the word of god we can become free in the culture dangerous but free and I just wonder whether we can now say to a culture that in in the wake of Harvey Weinstein mm. and just sort of say, hang on, you know, he was preaching to us very powerfully through his films. He was shaping culture and we've, you know, we've reaped the whirlwind in terms of the sort of culture that we have that, you know, we've got a culture that has elected, you know, to the most powerful office in, in, in the world, a man who boasted about sexual, you know, Assault and, and, and just spoke about it, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, he actually did anything, sure, but, yep. you know, very famously, that locker room talk, and, mm. and, and yet nobody thought that that was disqualifying, you know, behavior for, for a potential president, and we've ended up with this culture that is like this. Is it possible that, that of all the things that we might get wrong, sex might be one of them? Yeah. Like, is it just possible? <laughs> even consider I mean, it that. Possibly. You know, oh. let's, let's, let's imagine that we are not infallible as a culture. Okay, let's guess. Okay, if you don't have the Bible, let's just guess at where we might go wrong on things. And could it possibly be that we've gotten sex wrong? Mm. Hey, maybe. Well, the Bible says we have. But maybe there's good news. Maybe there's a sexual ethic here. And, you know, I don't want to bang on about sex. There's all sorts of stuff that the Bible, you know, contradicts the culture on. But this is our chance. This is our chance to actually be free, dangerous, but free, as we're captive to the Word of God and we become freed in the world um, to bring a, a very different message um, so yeah, just a, just a word to, to let's let's cling on to the Bible, and the fact that it runs against the grain of the culture. You go, yeah, well, 
so what? You know, jog on culture. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Here absolutely. I stand. Here I stand. Um, now we've got, we've got to just before we finish um, think about the second aspect of, of scripture and the Reformation because in one sense scripture birthed the Reformation. So um, you know, scripture scripture made us have a Reformation. But in what in what sense does the Reformation shape the way that we read scripture? What is it that? How is it that a Reformational person? Um, picks up the Bible of a morning. Um, how, sh- how should a, des- a descendant of Luther kind of, you know, pick up and read the Bible um, post-Reformation? Do you think? So we touched upon it a bit in in the Scripture Alone video, as we thought, you know, you you wake up in the morning, you look at your Bible, your Bible looks at you. How do you feel about your Bible? You know, as we open it up, do we expect the Bible just to give us a lecture? So you know, we expect to open it up and just kind of get a bit of a, a scolding and a telling off. Or, or even on a more positive note, just just to be given some instructions on how to do things. Um, and actually, we're saying no, that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is an announcement of good news. It's it, and it's it's a herald of victory. Just like when David defeats Goliath, actually the 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 you know the cry goes out of the the victory that's happened. It's an announcement that David has won. Goliath is defeated. The enemy is defeated. The the people. You know, David has the victory and therefore the people have the victory. And actually, as we read our Bibles, we're being reminded of just that, that Christ has the victory and therefore we have the victory. Mm. Even if day by day, sometimes it may not feel, right. you may not feel very victorious. Right, right, right. And I always I always go back to the, the lovely little book of Luther's. And if you can, tr- you can track it down online and it's literally like three pages long. So if someone asks you, have you read any Luther? Yeah, yeah, I've read. <laughs> And the book, it's, it's called uh, A Brief Exhortation in What to Look for and Expect in the Gospels. Uh, and the title's almost longer than the book. But uh, Luther, he, he makes this great thing. He says, uh, before we see Christ as our example, we must see him as God's gift to us. Um, and I, I just think that's, that's, that's how... That's how a Protestant, that's how an evangelical reads the Gospels, you know, reads the Bible as Christ has been given to us mm. to do it for us, to live our life, to die our death, to rise up again and to, and to be God's, God's present to us who has achieved it all on our behalf and is given to us for, for free. So I think that's, that's got to be a reformational way of, of reading the Bible, um, which again, you know, before Luther had his breakthrough on Romans chapter one, he was reading a lot of Bible. In fact, he was he was doctor of Bible. He was like a professor. He was a professor of Old Testament, you know, teaching the scriptures. Um, so it's very possible to, in one sense, love the Bible, or very mm. very possible to be a doctor of the Bible and not really get it. Um, true reformation happens though when you see Christ not really as your um, just your example, but as your champion. Mm. Yeah. So therefore, let us beat importunately upon Scripture and give heed to the context and meditate on it day and night and be captive to the Word of God because through it uh, we can be uh, born again and enter paradise through open gates and preach this good news to the world. Um, but uh, thank you very much, Paul, for uh, being with us. And, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, next week we're going to think about uh, glory alone, God's glory alone. And uh, that video is coming out on Reformation Day itself, October the 31st. So do stay tuned to that. Uh, Speak Life UK on Facebook. Do like our page there. Check out our videos. Do share them online. And do subscribe to the Evangelist Podcast. Like us. And uh, if you give a little share, uh, we'd really, really appreciate it. That's the way that this thing spreads and and gets into the world. So thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.